0: This morning we're going to take a look at Psalm 46. And before we do that, why don't we uh, pray again. Father, we are nothing without You. And we bow before You, Lord, acknowledging that You are the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of salvation. We're grateful, Lord, that we can sing songs to you in praise of you that actually preach the gospel, that actually preach the Bible. Give us ears to hear this morning, Lord, each of us. Get me out of the way and allow your people to hear your word, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was encouraged when Dan said that we we would be looking at different psalms this summer. And I believe Psalms of the Heart is a very appropriate um, title for the series. The psalms minister to our hearts in a way that nothing else can. Here in this book, we have gods appointed who have memorialized their own experiences along with their thoughts and their innermost states of, of mind amid those experiences. Now, too many believers, when in the depths of despair, will look to a friend, a spouse, a fellow believer, their job, their possessions for the comfort that their soul so desperately needs. On the other hand, many believers, when in the depths of discouragement, will turn to God, to His Word, to the Psalms, for encouragement to go on, for insight as to how to deal effectively with whatever's going on in their lives, and for Insight as to how to really praise the God of the universe for who He is and for all He has done in and through us, His people, even in the midst of the most horrendous experiences of their lives. Now, those things could include a diagnosis of terminal cancer, the death of a loved one, someone at work saying horrible things about you that are not true, Someone at church or another church saying horrible things about you that are not true. A child who may choose to marry someone whose character is less than mediocre. Or the discovery that an adult child is living a life the exact opposite of what you've been led to believe. All of these things are catastrophes in our lives that will tend to crush us if our view, if our eyes are not on the Lord Jesus Christ during long sleepless nights in the midst of turmoil, or in the early morning way before the sun gets, comes up, I have often find, found myself in the Psalms, and specifically here in Psalm 46. From this Psalm, we learn that the main idea is that no matter what happens to one of God's people, we are and we will remain secure and confident God is our fortress, our fortification, our refuge, our helper, and His truth will always stand. Through it all, God is God alone. Remember, it's one thing to say that we believe all these things, but it is a completely altogether different thing to actually live it out, to walk by faith. Keep that in mind as we progress through this hymn, if you will. Now, a little background. Many scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written um, in response to a confrontation between Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and the king of Assyria. And I stumble all over his name, so I'm going to call him the king of Assyria. Um, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. He was a wise and godly king. He was a king who obeyed the Lord. He came in as king and tore down the altars that had been erected to to worship false gods. He got the people back to look unto God. The Bible tells us that he trusted the Lord God of Israel, so that there was, quote, none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. The Bible tells us that, that the Lord was with him, wherever he went. On the other hand, the Israelites to the north, Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians because of their disobedience. They had wandered, they had been disobedient, and God's judgment came upon them. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Now, in response to Hezekiah's rebellion against the Assyrian king, and you've got to understand that at the time, the Assyrian empire um, required all these different cities, towns, and whatever to pay tribute to the king of Assyria. And when Hezekiah became king, he said, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. king of Assyria was not a happy camper. In fact, he and his huge army marched against Jerusalem. A general serving the Assyrian king approached the walls of Jerusalem shouted out the terms of surrender, claimed to be obeying the living God, and told the people not to trust Hezekiah. Why? Because they knew, the Assyrians knew, that Hezekiah trusted God. And that he trusted Him completely, unequivocally, unconditionally. So they tried to get these people scared by saying all these different things, don't trust Hezekiah and all that kind of thing. Well, the people went to Isaiah, who encouraged them. Isaiah was a contemporary of Hezekiah. And then the Assyrian king sent messengers to the city, again pointing out just how powerful their king was. So what happened? Do you think Hezekiah tried to wrestle that bull to the ground? Do you think he went ahead of God? Uh uh. Hezekiah prayed. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings 19. He prayed, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, now get this, he's praying, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are, O Lord, our God alone. Did you get that? Did you hear what he said? He did not beg God to save them, the people of Judah, for their sake. He was not focused on himself. Instead, he declared his trust in God, who he knew to be God alone, and he asked God to save them, again, not for their sake, but for the sake of God's holy name that all the kingdoms of the earth would know that He was God alone. Same thing's true in Psalm 46. This psalm's written as a declaration of trust in He who is God alone. It makes reference to unconditional trust. And that trust is present no matter what takes place. No matter what happens. No matter what catastrophe may befall them. Let's look at it. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist here is saying that it is Elohim who is our refuge, our refuge from danger. We can put our trust in Him, he says, and Him alone because He's invincible. It's the idea of um, having a... Um, fortress in the side of a mountain that is unassailable. And that fortress in the side of the mountain, the gate is made of iron and it's closed. And nobody can get to you when you're in that fortress. That's the idea here. God is our refuge. He is that fortress in which we have security. He is our strength. It is He who prevails. It is He who provides strength to His people. He is a very, the word means exceedingly great, He is an exceedingly great help in trouble. And that help is in the present. Certainly. Anyone who's been a believer for a while can look back and see where God has worked in their lives, where His faithfulness and His graciousness was shown forth. Where He delivered. Where He saved. But here, the psalmist is talking about God being an exceedingly great present help. Right now. Right now, your world's turned upside down. He is an exceedingly great, present help. (laughs) Help in trouble. Well, that word trouble is talking about dire straits. It's talking about being in a tight place. The word is actually used in the Old Testament to talk about a guy who's got rival wives, if you can picture that. That would be a tough place to be in. Bottom line, God alone is our refuge. God alone is our strength. doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter who we think we are. It doesn't matter who we know or who we think we know. None of that. From Hezekiah's view, it didn't matter that the king of Assyria had this great army. It didn't matter to him that the king may have had fortresses. Here we see Judah's boast is in the Lord God alone. The only living and true God. Now understand, true believers are safe. We are in that the cleft of the rock. We are there with God. He protects us. He keeps us. He preserves us. One more thing. God is our refuge. God is our strength. My refuge. My strength. That statement is a statement of confidence. Of absolute dependence upon God. If we say that God is our refuge and God is our strength, God is my refuge and strength, we are declaring, we're not putting trust in anything else. Our trust is in God. And He is our refuge right now in the present, just as surely as when the author wrote the psalm. There may have been times in your life where you're going through some kind of catastrophe. Your world's turned upside down. The crushing, the weight of, of what's going on in your life is just knocking you down, driving you to despair. And that during that time, you may think, man, where was God in all of this? Well, the fact of the matter is, He was right there. He was right there. The problem is, We have a tendency when we are facing something that is overwhelming us, we have a tendency to step away from God. And that tendency results in our trying to take the bull by the horns and wrestle that thing to the ground. Wanting to be in control. Had an instance in in our family's life recently where something happened and boom, I was ready to get on an airplane and go take care of the problem. So we men are. We want to fix things. Did I pray ahead of time? Nah. Nope, I was just jumping in. Thank God for my wife. Grabbed my wrist and said, no, honey. (laughs) Don't do that. We all tend to do that. We all tend to try to jump ahead of God. That's not what He wants us to do. He wants us to rest in Him. He is always there for us. He's right there in the present. It's not a matter of having to go through a bunch of difficulty for a period of time and then boom, God appears and takes care of the problem or relieves the burden or, or lifts the burden. No, God is right there with us all the time. All of the refuges are refuges of lies. They're made by men. All other strength is weakness because power belongs to God alone. It's God who is all-sufficient. It is God who is a very present help in trouble. He has been tried and proven by His people. You look at the Old Testament. You look at the New Testament. You look at your own lives. Look at the life of somebody sitting next to you. God is gracious. He is faithful. He comes through for us. Yeah, we may question His timing. We'll talk about that in a minute. God never withdraws Himself from His people who are experiencing affliction. He is our help truly, effectually, constantly. He is present, close by our side, ready to help. And this is emphasized by the the word very. He is more than present. More present than a friend or a relative or a co worker or whoever we want, might want to run to could be. Luther said We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil. And against all that assaults all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. All the assaults. That is our God. Look at verses two and three. Therefore, therefore what? We will not fear. Well, the word therefore says, okay, based on what was just said, we look back, we see because He is our refuge, because He is our strength, our Deliverer, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. We will not be terrified. We will not be torn asunder by fear. Even if the earth gives way, is describing being changed, even though the mountains be shaken by an earthquake and moved into the heart of the sea, Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? I mean, I can't. That would be overwhelming. But you know what? The catastrophes that we experience in our lives are no different than that. It's the same as the mountains being, you know, an an earthquake shaking the mountains and dumping them into the heart of the sea to where you can't see them anymore. Catastrophic. Experiences we all experience. No matter what happens, our God will always preserve, safeguard, and defend the true believer. No matter what happens, God's going to safeguard us. He will defend us. He will preserve us. Now, we are given any number of opportunities to allow fear to rule over us. Any number of opportunities come our way to allow fear to rule over us. And when that fear, that word fear is terrified, means terrified, when we allow that to impact our lives, then it's going to control us. But it doesn't have to. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. question is, what are we going to do when fear comes our way? Well, when things are upside down in our lives, we must remember that it is our faith that sustains us. We walk by faith. By faith we can be composed, calm, peaceful, serene no matter what's going on in your life, you walk by faith believing that God is your refuge and He is your strength and a very present help in a time of trouble. I mean, right now, we can be serene. And then the people out there that you work with, that you live with, they know your world's upside down. But they see you serene. They see you calm. At peace. And they ask the question, how come? (laughs) It's like saying, you know, sick them to a dog asking a Christian how come they're at peace. Gives us an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Gives us an opportunity to tell people what Jesus is doing in our lives. How He is fighting this battle. How He is the one that's dealing with it that I don't have to. Why? Because God is my refuge and my strength, the very present help in a time of trouble. Again, when our fit world turns upside down, it's our faith that sustains us. He is our strength. Now Spurgeon said, evil may ferment. Now picture the verses that we're, we're reading here in Psalm 46. He said evil may ferment wrath may boil and pride may foam but the brave heart of holy confidence trembles not great men who are like mountains may quake for fear in times of great calamity but the man whose trust is in God needs never to be dismayed the man or woman whose trust is in God needs never to be dismayed. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. And then we come at the end of verse 3 to the word Selah. When was the last time you sat quietly and meditated on one of the Psalms? Too often we're in too big of a hurry. <clears throat> but God wants us to rest and meditate on Him and His Word. The world may be crashing down around us. Whatever catastrophe may come our way, but plowing ahead of the God of the universe is simply foolishness. I can tell you, personal experience, it's foolish to plow ahead of God. To not stop and ask Him, What do I do, Lord? Lord? It's foolish. He doesn't want us to be overcome by the terror or the danger that's confronting us. He does not want us to reply to our accusers accusers immediately or, quote, mar the melody of our life song, end quote, but instead wants us to stop and think on Him as one person said to, quote, turn to... Tuning our harps with deliberation amidst the tumult of the storm. In the Psalms, when they put that word "Selah" in there, it was for the people to stop, to think about what they had just sung. This particular song was written for sopranos, and they were to stop and think about what they what they had been been singing. They were to rest. Rest in God. And at the same time, they were to retune their instruments. <clears throat> they didn't have instruments like we do today that hold the, the tuning. And so that Selah was a time for them to retune the, their instruments. Does God want us doing that in the midst of tumult? No. He wants us to be resting in Him. Verse 4. Here there's a change. The psalmist describes for us deliverance by God from catastrophe. He says, There is a river whose streams make glad, cause people to rejoice. The city of God, Elohim, the holy habitation, that is the dwelling place of the Most High. A river was of great importance in the psalmist's time. A river supplied the city's need for water. Now, If an enemy came and laid siege to a city and cut off its water supply, that city could not hold out very long. And they would capitulate. They would give in. However, a city whose water supply was secure could outlast an attack or a siege by an enemy for an incredibly long time. Hezekiah's time, they actually had cisterns in the city of Jerusalem that were huge hewn out of, out of rock that, that held the water, the rainwater, stored it within the city. And then the people designed a series of tunnels underneath the city to distribute the water. So you get some, somebody like this king of Assyria coming against the city and surrounding the city and laying siege to the city, saying, hey, this is the terms of surrender. They didn't have to worry about not having any water because they distributed the water through the, the tunnels under the city. My daughter actually got to walk through some of those tunnels. It blew her mind, she said. But we're not talking about rivers. There, you know, there never was a river in Jerusalem. That's why they had the cisterns. Here, the city of God, Jerusalem, represents the church, which is well supplied with water, which represents God's grace. God's grace being delivered in a calm stream as opposed to the the boiling and raging waters of the sea. This calm river being delivered to us from God's throne. That river flows, that river of grace flows from God's throne to His people, providing them with His grace in time of need. In times of difficulty, times of trial, times of attack, God's grace will flow and suffice for His people. We will survive because of God's grace. Sometimes we experience things in our lives, we think, how in the world am I going to get through this? Well, if you think, how in the world am I going to get through this by myself? That's a good question. But if we ask, how am I going to get through this, Lord? What are you going to do, Lord? How are you going to intervene, Lord? How are you going to preserve me, God? And help me to move through this thing. All these difficulties that we experience are survivable. But only when God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in time of trouble. We may feel that we're losing the battle. We may feel the enemy's gaining the upper hand. We may feel that we're coming out on the bottom. So what? So what? I mean, an example. You're at work. And your boss is threatened by you. And that does happen because of your your skill and your ability. And so your boss makes life miserable for you and you move through this catastrophe in your life where your world's turning upside down, you don't want to get up and go to work, you don't want to have to deal with all the garbage, but God's grace will enable you to get through it. And even if you end up on the bottom, that's okay. It's not about us being victorious in this life. God is the one that fights the battle. God is the one that wins the battle. Not us. We just plod along obediently, trusting in Him. Recognizing that He is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her. He is among her. She shall not be moved. She shall not be shaken or dislodged. God will help her when the morning dawns. Remember that line. God will help her when the morning dawns. Now, understand, when it says that God is in the midst of her, that is absolutely what it means. His help is sure and it's near. There's no question that His help will come. If the enemy lays siege to the city, the Lord God will overcome the enemy. If The Lord is right in the middle of the difficulties of His people because He is in our midst. Doesn't matter. Somebody comes and lays siege to you, surrounds you, makes your life miserable, turns your life upside down. God is right there. Always. Right there, right now. We cannot be shaken or dislodged. Because that would mean God would have to be shaken or dislodged. And He cannot be. God will help her when the morning dawns. Now, God, you know, He will help us. He will provide what's necessary to overcome the enemy. He will defeat our enemy, not unlike what He did with the, the armies of the Assyrian king. I didn't quite finish... The account of what transpired between Hezekiah and the Assyrian king, after Hezekiah prayed, after he expressed his unconditional trust in the God of heaven, the angel of the Lord went out and took out 185,000 of the Assyrian troops while they slept. Took them out. Dawn was the time for the battle to begin. And the Bible says God will help her when morning dawns. The Assyrians woke up. 185,000 of them are gone, dead. Folks in Jerusalem, they're going whoa, because God moved. God answered Hezekiah's prayer. (laughs) He, um, God proved that He is the the God of all the kingdoms. Of the universe. He alone is God. In response to the prayer that Hezekiah prayed. Now, God's always on time for His people. And you may say, Tom, you're nuts. Because I've been through something and God's timing was not perfect. Okay. If God had taken out the 185,000 two days later, would His timing have been perfect? Yeah. A week later? Perfect? Yeah. Problem is, we're not looking at God's timing through the same prism that He is. And once we do look at our lives through the same prism that God is looking at our lives, the Bible we will see that His timing is perfect. Even if a delay in our minds, even if a delay in His timing causes us more suffering, more discomfort, more hurt, the fact of the matter is, in the grand scheme of things, His timing is perfect. Always. And believing that His timing is perfect even when we're still going through hardship and hurt and pain that is trust in God when we trust in God we will see that his timing is absolutely perfect no matter what it is through our our lens how we look at it it has to do with God's infinite wisdom Verse 6, the nations, the Gentiles, rage. They growl, they roar, they make noise, they're clamorous, they raise an uproar. That's describing the king of Assyria moving toward Jerusalem. His armies raged. They created a huge tumult, a huge noise, clamor. They took captive peoples that they came across. They took captive the, the, the... the cities that they, they came across till they got to Jerusalem. Those, those kingdoms are described here as tottering, shaking, being overthrown. The Syrian king caused a great bewilderment, doubt, and indecision as he moved toward the city of Jerusalem. Um, his general <laughs> walks up to the wall and says, and offers the terms of surrender. And so, the people that Hezekiah sent out said, hey dude, you know what? Let's speak in Aramaic so the people on the walls don't hear because we don't want them to get upset. general from the Assyrian army says, no, nah, I don't think so. Why? Because he wanted to get those people fired up. He wanted them scared. He wanted them terrified of what was coming. So they didn't speak this Aramaic. They spoke the language that everybody would understand in order to create as much clamor and trouble as possible among God's people. And doesn't Satan do the same thing today? Creating as much noise and trouble among God's people as possible in order to bring discouragement and despair? Satan and his minions are no less fierce for us today than the Assyrian king's minions were for Hezekiah. And the rest of verse 6 says He utters His voice. The earth melts. That is, it's dissolved. Amazing, isn't it? That all the Lord needs to overcome the enemy is the sound of His voice. A word. The same thing was true when the disciples were on the raging sea. The stormy sea. Verse 7 and 11 are repetitious. 11 is repetitious of verse 7. It says, The Lord, Jehovah, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That means a high place, a secure height, a retreat, or a stronghold. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I don't know how many of you might may have had any experience with tactical operations. Probably only a couple of you. But I'll tell you, tactical operations are extremely important. In my career, I served a lot of search warrants. And before we would go out and serve the search warrant, we would all gather together. I would present an operational plan. We would talk about it. People could ask questions. We would modify it if need be. But everybody knew what their job was, and everybody knew where they were to be. And where they were to be was not out in the open. The tactical plan provided cover for everybody involved. So as to not leave anyone out in the open in danger. Well, the same thing is true here. The God of Jacob is our fortress, our stronghold, our place in that wall where nothing can touch us. He is the one that provides the cover for us. God does not leave us out in the open. He provides cover. He is our fortress, our stronghold, our refuge. This verse is repeated twice, providing us with the emphasis that God intended. The Lord, Jehovah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is with us. It is the Lord who is our fortress. It is the Lord who is our stronghold, the one place high and secure, out of the reach of our enemies. Understand, we're not standing on a wall like those folks in Jerusalem preparing to repel t- the attack of the enemy. We are not waiting for the enemy to overcome us. We are secure. Martin Luther saw this for what it was. This psalm was the inspiration for the hymn that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He goes, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark, a fortification, never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, thus seek to work us woe, that is, misery and grief. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? What he say? If we trusted in our own strength, we'd lose. If we depended upon ourselves, we'd lose. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabbath, Almighty, Ruler of armies, His name, from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. Understand that. Catastrophe comes to your life. Your world is turned upside down. The pressure is coming down on you. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the victory belongs to the Lord. Too often we think that we can take care of a situation. Like me jumping on an airplane. What a goofball! The battle belongs to God. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. And get this, one little word (laughs) shall fell Him. One little word, verse 6. One little word. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. And get this let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Possessions, let them go. Kindred, family, let it go. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus said there would be division. If we let go of those things and quit holding on to them, including our own mortal life, let go of those things and quit holding on to them with a death grip, then Jesus Christ will have first place in our affections. But how can Christ have first place in our affections when we've got a death grip on all these things that surround us? And finally, Luther finishes up, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? I mean, do you really understand the Lord is with us? He is our security. He is the ruler over all creation. Scripture tells us that those in power over us are subject to His will. God is our refuge. Not those who have power over us. Not those who come along with the intent to ruin our day. Because of this, we can rest assured, secure in the knowledge that He is in control. Verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth, He makes wars that His times of war cease. He puts an end to them to the end of the earth. He breaks, He shatters the bow and shatters or cuts the spear. He burns completely the chariots with fire. Remember the 185,000? God heard and answered Hezekiah's prayer and the people saw what He did. How often do you in your day-to-day life identify God's working in your midst? How often do you recognize His deliverance on your behalf? How often do you recognize His works on your behalf? By delivering His people then and now, He shows His greatness and His dominion over His own creation. And when you are able to identify those times, God working in your life, God delivering you, God protecting you, God guarding you, God defending you, you can tell people about that. About how Jesus works in your life. And the change that He He brings to your life. God's voice is what destroys the weapons of war. He is the one that brings about reconciliation among us. Joshua 11, God told Joshua to burn the chariots. Now you got to understand, the arrows and the spears were fearsome tools of war, but the chariot was the most feared, the most dreaded implement of war. The thundering sound of the wheels, the noise of the horse's hooves, and the way the ground shook as the chariots approached caused great Fear among the people. And God says He's going to burn those chariots. And He will. And I'm not a bet man, but I'll bet a nickel that He's burned chariots in your life that have come against you. Nahum 3, it talks about the crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, the galloping horse, and the bounding chariot thundering forward. You know, sometimes those catastrophes, those things that turn our lives upside down, Sometimes they sneak up on us. (laughs) I mean, really sneak up on us. And then, boom, all of a sudden, it's right in front of you. (sniffs) And then sometimes, we feel like we're on an open plane. No trees. Flat, level. Kind of like what you see in the movies when the two armies come running at each other and then, this plane's empty. Except for you and the thundering hooves and the noisy wheels and all of that, the the shaking of the ground coming at you, you know catastrophe is coming. One or two ways it comes. David knew that firsthand. In Psalm 20, he declared his confident trust in the Lord alone. He said, now I know that the Lord saves His anointed, he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was David's experience. Is that your experience? Do you really trust in the name of the Lord our God when those chariots are coming at you? Finally, verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now understand that the structure of that sentence, the you is understood. That is to say, you, be still. Me, be still. It's directed at us. Be still, be quiet. let that circumstance drop. Abandon it. Forsake it. Let it go. Cease striving. Anybody here not ever strive in the midst of difficulty? All of us have. And God is saying, you, my child, cease striving. Kind of like knock it off. This is the application of the truths outlined in the other ten verses. This is the hard part. This is the difficult element. This is where the rubber meets the road. We know that God is our refuge and our strength in a very present health in a time of trouble. We know that He provides grace to, to His people so that they can deal with all the tumult in their lives. But this is where the rubber meets the road. How can you and I stop striving and really know that Jesus alone is all we need? I mean really being dependent upon divine power. For the people of Judah, it was hearing and believing the words spoken by Hezekiah recorded in 2 Chronicles 32. Hezekiah told his people, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God, To help us and to fight our battles. God is going to help us, and God is going to fight our battles, he said. The Bible says, and the people took confidence. Their hearts were calmed from the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. In the same way, you and I have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be terrified, dismayed, none of that. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you from personal experience that it is God who fights the battles. It is God who brings vindication. It is God who deals with those who would destroy us. We must be still. We must drop our sword, as it were, in the conflict and trust Him. Trust Him for His timing. Trust Him for His motivation. Trust Him for His purpose. Trust Him for His intervention. Trust Him for His deliverance. Trust Him. Now for Hezekiah, it was hearing and believing the words that Isaiah spoke on behalf of the Lord God of the universe regarding the Assyrian king, recorded in 2 Kings 19. Understand, these words were spoken by Isaiah, a contemporary of Hezekiah, um, to Hezekiah on behalf of the Lord God. God said, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what I now bring to pass. God's in control. God's in control. Nothing escapes His attention. He is absolutely sovereign over His creation. At the same time, when our world's turned upside down and we're being crushed by this catastrophe that comes to our life, God Hurts with us. He loves us so much. He's right there with us. Yes, He's sovereign. But He still feels for us. Which makes His steadfast love that more amazing. Okay, well, we all run the risk in the course of our lives of murmuring against God. Striving, hanging on, um, um, to the offense, uh, griping about it. We all are tempted to murmur against God, to strive against Him. Jonathan Edwards talked about it being our duty to be still before our holy and faithful God who loves us with a steadfast love. Edwards talked about being still as to words. That is, not speaking against the sovereign order of things. That was a hard lesson for me to learn over the course of the last ten years. Not murmuring against God because of the sovereign order of things. Edwards also said the sole consideration that God is God is sufficient to still all objections to His sovereignty. He said we must cultivate our souls in a way that will cause them to be calm and quiet and submissive to His pleasure. He's he's telling us, God is God alone. Our affections must be for Him alone. So remember, tomorrow, Wednesday, next Saturday, when that thing comes and turns your world upside down, God is our refuge, and God is our strength. A very present, right now, Help in time of trouble. Pray with me. Father, we do trust you despite the discouragement our life situations bring to our lives. You, Lord Jesus, are our refuge and our strength. It is you that is our very present help in time of trouble. Oh God, help us to be still. Help us to cease striving. Help us to get out of your way and to really, truly know that you are God. Thank you for your steadfast love toward us, Father, toward us, your people. And thank you for the grace that you shower upon us because you love us. You, O oh Lord, are holy. You, O oh Lord, are God. Let's stand in.